0: Thank you, Lloyd. It's good to be with you this morning and just to uh, enjoy the freedom and the liberty of the Holy Spirit that is in this place. It speaks very well of you, that you're welcoming to the to the work and the presence of the Holy Spirit and that you're hunger, hungry and tender. It speaks very well of your pastor, Sid, and uh, the leadership that he and his wife, it's Heather, right? That, uh, that they are providing to you in this, uh, in this fellowship. We were so impressed when we immediately walked in the front door and uh, to see the renovations that you've been doing in your facility, updating things and making a little more modern look. And uh, uh, everything just looks first class, I want to tell you that. It speaks very well of you as a congregation and, and things are tidy and neat. And organized and I want to tell you we visit in churches from time to time and and uh, oftentimes we we don't always see that and uh, so it speaks very well of you that you're taking very seriously the work of the Lord in the mission that he has given to you in reaching uh, the lost and reaching your community around you so I just want to applaud you on that and uh, just say uh, there's a lot of God activity going on in this house. That's one of the things that uh, in a particular ministry that we work with called Segway Ministries that uh, that we look for is what's the activity of God going on in a congregation, in a church. We we do interim kind of pastoring from time to time, and, and that's one of the questions we ask is we're evaluating in a congregation and where they're at and what the Lord is doing. And uh, so I want to just say that you guys are on the right track and that the Lord is really doing some some great things we just sense the presence and the activity of the Lord here I want to introduce my wife this is Janie we have uh, been together for 42 years married not just together married okay I know today you wonder sometimes 42 years we're West Texas kids both of us grew up. She grew up in Big Spring. I grew up in a little place called Ackerley, Texas. How many of you have ever heard of that? Well, I doubt that you would. There's only 21 kids in my graduating class, so uh, uh, it's it's a place on the map. You can go Google it. You might find it. I don't even know if Google knows where Ackerley, Texas is, but uh, anyway, we uh, the Lord has blessed us. We've been able to pastor a number of churches through the years, and uh, beginning in West Texas, way out there. And a couple of churches in West Texas, and then the Lord called us in 92 to McKinney, Texas, and we pastored uh, uh, what was originally known as Southside Assembly of God, and we changed the name. As you guys went through here, I noticed uh, several years back, we changed the name to Day Spring Christian Fellowship. Uh, we served on staff with what is now a Genesis Church in McKinney, and then the Lord took us back to West Texas, First Assembly of God. We were there for a time. And uh, now we're back in uh, just north of McKinney, just enjoying life and uh, what the Lord is leading us in this season that we're in. But it is a joy to be with you. We always just uh, cherish the opportunities the Lord gives us to uh, share His word and to be with the congregation. I don't know if any of you know Dave Watts, uh, that's kind of how the connection came about here. Our being here today is Dave and Sid are friends and And we actually were doing an interim at Farmersville, where Dave is at now. So uh, we formed a relationship and a connection, and they're doing a great job there in Farmersville. So let's just move right on into the word of the Lord, could we, today? And let's just pray and invite his blessing. Father, Lord, what a thrill, what a joy it is just to mingle and to come together with your people. Lord, just to sense their hunger, their sensitivity to you. And uh, Lord, as we come to you today, we want to just turn our focus and our attention to your scripture. Lord, this is a sacred moment. It's a sacred time as we just open our hearts to hear your truth. I thank you that you said that your word will not return to you void without accomplishing the purpose for which you've sent it. So I thank that to you today that uh, as we leave this place that we're going to leave transformed and changed we're going to leave built up and encouraged. We're going to leave with a deeper fire, a deeper intensity and a deeper passion in our hearts for you and for the things of your kingdom. Now bless we pray in Jesus name. Amen. I want to share with you a message this morning that uh, I've entitled Grace Point. And uh, this is a actually a very special and a dear message to my own heart because I, it, it includes some of my own personal story in this message. It's kind of in, uh, woven into it. Uh, and so it's, it's just a word that, that has always been very precious in my heart. And I really believe that it'd be a word that uh, God can use to impact your life today. Let's begin with just getting some focus on some scripture this morning. Several different verses of scripture. In the Gospel of John chapter 1 and verse 16... He said, indeed, we have all received grace after grace. James chapter 4 and verse 6, but he gives greater grace. And then in Zechariah chapter 4 and verse 7, then he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. What are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you will become a plain, and you will bring forth the top stone with shouts of grace, grace to it. I want you to say those last words with me. That last phrase. Would you say, "Grace, grace to it"? And then in the book of Ephesians, chapter one, this one is not on the PowerPoint. Ephesians chapter one, and verse two, Paul began his his writing to the believers there with this with this, with this, uh, with this prayer, he said, may God, our father, the Lord Jesus Christ, give you, give you grace. So I want to begin this morning by just asking a question that often is a real casual question that we ask each other when we get together, when we meet is, and simply, how's it going with you? Me, maybe be a little more precise, how are you progressing in your walk, in your relationship with the Lord? How are things really going for you? I know a lot of times, you know, we ask that question and it's kind of a casual question and we say, oh great, everything's going good, you know, fine. But the truth is, you know, that's just kind of the acceptable answer because we really don't want to know too much more than that most of the time because we don't get bogged down in what, are the minutiae and all of the issues in our, our life and struggles we're going with. But, but the truth is, a lot of times there's things that it's just not going that well. We find ourselves stuck in situations and battling the same kind of frustrations and issues in our life that we can't seem to break forth and break beyond. I was, uh, In preparing this message, I was reminded of a particular story my brother told me. My brother is a cotton farmer out in West Texas. And uh, he was telling me the humorous story a number of years ago is they'd gotten quite a bit of rain out there. And, of course, it's sandy land, and the water table tends to rise up when you get a lot of water. And so the, what we, we call it the bottom will kind of fall out. And, and that big, heavy equipment they use, those big tractors, well, he got a little close into one of those places, a little lower-lying lower area of land. And wouldn't you know it, he got it bogged up, got it stuck. So he goes and gets another tractor. One of his other tractors, a bigger one, he brings it in, ties onto it, gets a chain and begins to try to tug it out. And wouldn't you know what happens? That tractor gets bogged down. It gets stuck. It gets buried up. And I mean, you know, we're not talking about just stuck a little bit. I mean, we're talking about these are four-wheel drive tractors. I mean, they're they're buried up. And then so he goes and gets the other tractor. Well, that's the only other one he's got. You know, that's the third one. So here's his hope. And wouldn't you know what happens? It's... Same thing, bottom falls out, he's all bogged down, stuck. You know, that's a picture, I think, of how we feel many times in our own life. Is that how you feel? Sometimes you're just looking at your situation and and you realize that you're just bogged down, that you're stuck, that you're not making any progress. And we come to this, uh, maybe we could say it this way, do you sometimes wake up early in the morning, early in the morning hours or during the night with this heavy feeling suddenly realizing that you're still fighting the same tormenting addictions, that you're still fighting the same marriage conflicts, that you're still fighting the same employment frustrations, still fighting the same parental challenges. And let me tell you, just because they get grown and they get married doesn't mean that the the parental challenges don't end. How many of you have discovered that to be true? You're still fighting the same emotional struggles. Still fighting the same kind of money problems? You see, this is the truth that we encounter in our lives. And it kind of brings us to this point in this place of disillusionment if we're not careful. Because we have to come to this place and we ask ourselves, is this Christianity really working for us? And a lot of people come to a moment into a serious crisis of faith. Because suddenly they're asking themselves this question. Is all this I believe about Jesus and the church and the Bible, does it really work? Is it really working for me? And it's not just true of us as individuals, but it's also true sometimes in the journey of a church. Because sometimes a church can, the years go by and the time passes and they suddenly realize that they're still struggling with the same financial challenges. Still struggling with the same leadership issues still struggling with the same facility limitations, still struggling with the same growth issues. And we we stop when we think, well, you know, where's, where's the progress? Where's the growth? And so this brings us to what I would call this sobering reality. Time itself, now hear me, time itself is not a guarantor of things getting better. Time itself is not a guarantee. That things are going to get better. You see, the passing of time does not guarantee maturity. It doesn't guarantee a healthy marriage or a better job. It doesn't mean that we're going to automatically have a deeper, healthier spiritual life. You see, time is necessary for growth and healing. It takes time for a harvest, it takes time to heal, it takes time to mature, but time alone never fixes anything. Without an intentional intervention of the divine in our lives, you see, most things are going to get worse rather than better. I think we could say it this way, that the primal tendency, the primal tendency of all things of earth is toward decay. And if there isn't a direct intervention of the divine, of God, his grace pouring forth in our lives, then... Probably things in our life are not going to get better. They're going to get worse. And you see, this is the epiphany moment that happened to a governor in old Jerusalem way back thousands of years ago by the name of Zerubbabel. The scripture that we read a few minutes ago that's actually become a theme for Pentecost throughout the generations. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit says the Lord of hosts. What is this mountain before Zerubbabel? It will become nothing but a plain. And he will bring forth the the capstone with shouts of grace, grace to it. You see, Zerubbabel, along with Joshua, was two of the leaders that God had called to return to Jerusalem after 70 years of captivity to rebuild the temple. They had begun the process with a lot of enthusiasm with a lot of uh, anticipation. The foundation had been laid. I mean they laid the foundation. with, with, with There was crying and weeping. And the people were so excited. They are saying progress finally. We're going to see the temple restored. But not everybody. In old Jerusalem. Was as excited or enthused. Or shared the enthusiasm. With that project of restoration. They faced a lot of resistance. I know Sid told me in y'all's process of, uh, of renovating here that, uh, don't you love city government? <laughs> you just got to love them. You just got to pray for them. You just got to bless them. I'm telling you, you know, don't hate them. Just bless them. Just love them, you know. Just say grace to it. Grace to it. I know he shared with me, and I, I know I've been through that journey before. We, we've had that experience. It's just one of those realities of life. But what I'm saying to you, what happened to Zerubbabel, he encountered a tremendous amount of opposition. And suddenly he wakes up and it is 20 years later. And he's looking at a foundation. And he's looking at this mountain of building materials that have been set aside. And no progress has been made. Nothing is happening. So he's discouraged. The people would become discouraged. They begin to lose interest. So God raises up a couple of prophets by the name of Zechariah. Another one's name was Haggai. You can go read the minor prophets there. Read those two little books. And they come with a word of encouragement, a word of inspiration to encourage the people to continue to work. And that's the word of the Lord that comes to Zerubbabel. It is not by might. It's not by power. It's by my spirit. And he will bring forth that capstone with what? Shouts of grace. Grace to it. And you see, this is what I want to talk to you about this morning. Is God was bringing Zerubbabel to what we could call a grace point in his life. He was saying this isn't going to be done by just human means. It's going to be something in the hand of the divine That's going to be bringing this forth. So let me ask you again today. What's going on with you? How's it going with you? What's the mountain that's staring you down this morning? What is it that you're struggling with that you can't seem to get beyond? What are the parental challenges that you've been fighting for year after year? What is it that's going on in your marriage? What's going on in your personal life that you've not been able to break through? That you need to come to what we could call a grace point. Maybe you have woke up and you just said, you know what, I've been doing this for all of these years and it seems like nothing is changing. You're having that epiphany moment. You see, that's what happened to us. Janie and I were pastoring what had become. We changed the name to Dayspring Christian Fellowship in McKinney. If any of you know about the north area of Dallas, as I'm sure you do, you know, when we came to McKinney in 1992, McKinney was about 25,000 or so, and uh, we just watched the city explode with growth. But we weren't enjoying that growth. God called us to a church that was an aging congregation, and surprisingly, for the facilities they had, they had a lot of debt, almost a half a million uh, dollars in debt, and that was a lot back in that day. It doesn't seem like a lot today. Uh, It was a divided congregation. We didn't have a very good location in the city. And so it was deeply frustrating to us as we watched the city around us exploding with growth. And and here we were just, just barely hanging on to what we had. We weren't experiencing that growth. And so finally in 1999, we sold our property, took a step of faith, Sold our property. We were able to finally pay down most of our debt, and we launched out, began to meet in a school. And we thought, well, this is going to be the answer. This will be a solution for us. We're in a better location. We're visible. And then suddenly four years passes, and I wake up one morning, and I realize that after four years of meeting in a school that we're still not anywhere closer to being where we need to be. We're just, again, holding steady about where we were. And I thought, Lord, we've got to have something to happen. So Charlie Tuttle, who is was a pastor, had just become the pastor at Family Worship Center in McKinney, he calls me up one late one Sunday night. And he says, how's it going? And I said, well, we're struggling. It doesn't seem like we're getting anywhere. And he said, well, why don't you guys just come over and join us? Well, you see, Southside Assembly of God was a split-off of what was originally the old full gospel assembly of God in McKinney. And so what we really saw, we were able to be a part of something that was just really great. It was a grace point for us because we saw the reunification of those two congregations. They had just gotten into a new facility, and they were maybe 150 people. We took our 70 or so people, put them together, and within a year or so, we we went on staff with them, stayed on staff for three years, we saw that church grow to 600 people, and today they changed the name again, relocated to even a nicer location, a nicer facility. It's called Genesis Church, and so we saw God. That became for us a grace point. It wasn't what I imagined. It wasn't what my dream necessarily was, but I want to tell you God was in it, and it, it was something that, that uh, a, beautiful, a beautiful situation came out of that. And I'll tell you, two of the best things is I got two great son-in-laws out of the deal. How, how many of you moms could say amen to that? I mean, for your daughters to find a good, spirit-filled believer in Christ. One of them took her off to Wisconsin, but we'll forgive him for that. Yeah, my two grandkids. Can you imagine all the way in Wisconsin? But it was a grace point for us. And what we saw God be able to do. And you know, it it really brought us to a place because I'll be very honest with you, we were burnt out. We were exhausted spiritually and emotionally. And those three years that we were able to spend at Family Worship Center, just being able to be a part of a congregation that was thriving and alive and growing was so life-giving to us. So it was an epiphany moment. It was a grace point for us. And you see, sometimes God... Needs to bring us to that point in that place where, you know, maybe things just aren't moving forward as we like. And, you know, I want to say this God will manifest His grace in each one of our lives sovereignly as He chooses. How He worked in mine may not look anything the way He works in yours. It may be different. God is creative. But He does want, He does have grace for us, whatever point and whatever place that we encounter. You see, a grace point will alter our present reality. It will bring God's beauty into what is an ugly situation. A grace point will alter an ugly marriage. It'll alter an ugly family. It'll, it'll alter what is a drug-tormented life. It will bring God's beauty into those ugly places of our life. Amen. That's what a grace point, and that's what I'm talking about this morning. So I want to share with you very quickly this morning what I want to call our three dynamics of a grace point the three dynamics, and they're taken from the writings of the Apostle Paul out of the book of Ephesians. And Paul, as he talks about, it's actually uh, his prayers that he prays for the believers at Ephesus, and he talks about a grace point and these three dynamics that are involved and included in a grace point. You see, you see, God is, uh, Paul is writing out of his out of his experience. He's not just writing out of theory. He's not just writing, you know, we can sing the songs about love or we can sing the songs about God's power. But Paul experienced it in his life. He is writing out of his own experience. And that's what I want to talk to you this morning about is that God wants to bring us, when he brings us to that grace point in our life, he is bringing us to a point point in a place where we are experiencing the divine in our life. Let's look at the first one. In fact, let me just give you all three so you'll know where we're going here. Our grace point is going to include these three dynamics. First of all, it's going to be a point of revelation. It's going to be a point of experiencing a deeper depth of God's love. And third, it's going to be a point of experiencing his power. So you know where we're going. First of all, a point of revelation. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17. Look at this verse. Paul said, I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. And I pray that your hearts will be, and look at this, I love this term, flooded with light. I pray that your hearts, that your minds will be flooded with light so that you can understand The confident hope that he has given to those he has called. You know, so much of the time in our lives, we don't have a clue what's really going on. You ever feel like you're just driving a car without headlights on a moonless, uh, cloudy night? I mean, you know, where am I? What's going on? God, why is this happening? I mean, sometimes it just seems like we're just eclipsed in darkness. And when we look at the life of the Apostle Paul, why he prays this prayer He's praying for, for light. He's praying that there would be revelation that would come, and understanding that would come to these believers because he was a man who knew very well what it was like to walk in darkness and think he was walking in light. Because remember, he was the guy who was persecuting the church, dragging the Christians out, throwing them into jail. He was there at the stoning of Stephen, applauding the whole thing. And he thought he was doing God's work. He thought he was, was, I mean, he thought it, this was the right thing to do until he had that experience on the Damascus Road where God blinded him for three days and then his eyes were opened and he could really see. So Paul had a, what we could call at that on Damascus Road, a grace point in his life where God brought the light to him to turn the lights on so he could really see what was going on. You know, I want to say this, sometimes, you know, we've pastored long enough through the years, wonderful believers in Christ, wonderful men or women of God who sometimes will get connected to a cause or to, I mean, they will see something they think is an injustice or something that's maybe out of line in the happening in the church and and they think they need to correct it. They think they need to stand up. They think they need to do something. They think that they're on the rights, that they're in the light, but they don't realize they've just become a tool of Satan to cause division and hindrance. And I say that to you this morning. Sometimes we need to be careful. I've seen good men, good people love God, and they get connected to some something they see they think is an injustice or something that is out of kilter and, And they don't realize they have just become like the Apostle Paul. They're connected to the wrong thing. And they need their eyes open. You see, let me say this to you. Satan thrives in darkness. The work, his work flourishes where there is darkness and ignorance. And he wants to keep us dumbed down, misinformed. He operates in the realm of lies and deceit. Behind every besetting sin and addiction is a lie that's believed. Behind every discouraged and beat down saint is a lie believed. Behind every or many a misunderstanding and conflict, there's a lie that's believed. Darkness. Satan thrives in darkness. And a telltale sign of the devil's work is always going to be hopelessness. You see, when things are dark, when it seems there's an absence of light and a revelation, what always follows is going to be hopelessness and despair. And you may be looking at your particular situation, whatever it is that you're struggling with in your life, whatever that mountain is that's standing in front of you, that is taunting you and staring you down, whatever it might be. You're looking at that thing and and you see Satan wants to keep you in darkness. He wants to keep us all in darkness. So we don't understand that God is for us, that God is with us. And it always, the result of that is hopelessness and despair. Pardon the term, but this is kind of how we talk sometimes. We'll say, what the hell? Go ahead, give up. Throw in the towel. Go ahead. Indulge in that pornography. Your marriage is the pits anyway. See, that's hopelessness. A young lady gets an abortion because she feels hopeless. That she can bring that child into the world. And that that child could have a a bright future and hope. You see, so much of sin, so much of addiction... It all comes down that there's hopelessness. But when God brings his light, when he floods our minds with his light and his revelation, what happens? We be, hope is rebirthed in our hearts again. There is hope for your marriage. It doesn't have to end in divorce. There is hope for you with the addictions you might be struggling with. You don't have to continue to live in that. There is hope that your future can be bright. You see, the devil wants you to believe that there's no future for you, but a life that's locked into addiction. The devil wants you to believe that there's no future for you, but a marriage that's locked in conflict. The devil wants you to believe that there's no future for you, that life will never get any better. Give up, he says. Take that bottle of pills and end it all. Who cares anyway? That's hopelessness. But then God brings light. He floods our minds and our hearts with light. And suddenly we understand and realize how deeply he loves us. The purpose and the plan that he has for our lives. We begin to see. I believe it was a few nights ago. Maybe last Sunday night if I recall. We have a dear friend who pastors in uh, in uh, meridian idaho ed kreiner is his name and sometimes we follow him on facebook we connected years ago at southwestern and have been dear friends with them though we don't see them often but uh, his message she was sharing a message in romans 8:28. how many of you know the verse quote it for me come on i i, I can't hear i'm sorry My hearing sometimes not good. Let me let me hear it. Go ahead. What? We know. How does it start? Romans 8 28. Begins with these two words. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Wow, that's powerful. But I never, it never hit me as he was sharing that, that verse of Scripture. And he began with simply those two words, we know. Say that with me this morning, would you? We know. You know what we're talking about? We're talking about revelation. Amen. We're talking about illumination in the Spirit. We are talking about God flooding our hearts with his light, that no matter how dark it is, what the doctor tells you, it's cancer, or this marriage is over, or whatever it is, there is light that floods our heart, and we say, we know that God causes all things to work together Hallelujah. for good to those who love him. And I, you know, I was just this morning reviewing these notes again, and And these words just popped out to me. We know that in all things, everybody say all things. things. Does that mean God strikes some things off the list? Oh, marriage, don't work in that one. Oh, your kids, no. Oh, or maybe, you know, it's just Sally. Well, everybody knows, I hope nobody's name is Sally here, but everybody knows, you know, she's just hopeless. Just mark her off the list. To how we feel about ourselves? You feel sometimes that God just strikes your name, strikes your problem off the list? No, he says, we know in all, all, all things, all things, God works. Underscore those two words. God works. Oh, the work of God is awesome. One of the things we get to do now in this season of our life is we have a travel trailer, And we get to go see the country. We were just up in Colorado and then up to Utah, got to Arches National Park, and my lands. You look at all of that and you think, God, you are incredible. God works, His creation, and that creative power that He used in in the creation, He can bring forth in your life as well. Amen. All things, God works for good. You see, God is into writing beautiful stories you may look at your story and you think man this is kind of an ugly story you may look at your life, your marriage the kids, whatever it might be and you think man this is kind of ugly looking but you see God takes what is ugly and he's able to bring his grace into it and he turns it into something very beautiful God does beautiful things So it begins with revelation, an opening of our understanding. That's the beginning point. And this brings us to the second point, the second dynamic of a grace point, and it's what I call the point of experiential love. And let's look at what the Apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians 3, 18. He wrote these words, And may you have the power to understand As all God's people should, how wide, everybody say how wide, how long, say it, how how high and how how deep his love is, may you experience, 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 not something you just sing about, not something you just read about, may you experience the love of Christ Though it's too great to understand. Now let me say this to you. Some of us may have a hard time with this. But it's true. Think for a moment of your darkest, most secret sin. The thing that you're most ashamed of. And I tell you that in that moment, God is speaking to you and saying, I love you. Think of that moment, that thing that you wouldn't dare want to share or say to anyone else. And I tell you right there, and that point of your ugliness and of the shame that you feel, God is saying to you, I love you. Your greatest failure, whatever it is. You see, he loves us while we're yet sinners. He loves us while we're very, very ugly. He loves us even when everyone else has given up. And he loves us too much to leave us as we are. Because God is always into transformative experiences and making life beautiful again. Remember, Paul is writing out of his own experience. He had the blood of the saints on his hands. He was there at the stoning of Stephen, encouraging it all. He was uh, then on the Damascus Road. He has that encounter with the divine love. Paul must have considered himself the foremost of sinners. If God could love him after all he'd done, that was just unexplainable. I love Song of Solomon 7:14. You should memorize it. It's recently become dear to me. I am my beloved, and his desire is for me. You know, it's one thing to be desired, That's what the heart of every woman longs for, is to be desired, to be loved. And God says, I am my, he's writing and he's saying, I am my beloved and his desire is for me. God desires you. He loves you. Don't you love the song by Corey Asbury? Reckless love. Man, that song spoke to me. It spoke to me because it brought me back in my own personal journey. The chorus of that song goes something like this. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Oh, it chases me down, fights till I'm found, leaves the 99. I couldn't earn it. I don't deserve it. Still, you give yourself away. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. When I was your foe, still you, your love fought for me. You have been so, so good to me. He goes on. He says, when I felt no worth, you paid it all for me. Yes, you did. You have been so, so kind to me. He said, there's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, no lie you won't tear down coming after me. That is powerful. I tell you, that song is written. I don't know Corey Asbury. don't know anything about him. I just love his song. I can tell you this. He didn't write that song out of theory. He wrote it out of experience. I don't know what his history was, but I can tell you, he knows what it's like to live in shame and remorse and suddenly be at the bottom of life and to experience the overwhelming, unexplainable love of God. And many of you know exactly what I'm talking about this morning because you've experienced it. I can recall when I was 19 years old, I was raised in church, a little country church out in the middle of a cotton field in West Texas, Brown Assembly of God. And uh, that little church closed. We eventually migrated to First Assembly of God in Big Spring, and that's where I met my wife, Janie. But I was out of church through my uh, high school years. And uh, like a lot of kids do, we we uh, start making a lot of wrong choices, and that was the path I was on. I had a wonderful, godly mom and dad, faithful, sincere, devoted believers in Christ. And uh, as sin always is, it always gets deeper. We began to get involved in drugs and wasn't just drinking anymore. But when I finally did come to Christ or came to a point of uh, my first year in college, Texas Tech University, and uh, uh, kind of it's another whole another thing. I we don't have time to go into details, but but another friend and I drove home that night from Lubbock, 90 miles, came home and and uh, told mom and dad we we want to get right with Christ. Well, you know, I'd like to tell you that at that point, into that place, when we walked into that living room early that that morning, that everything thereafter would have been just an easy transformation. It wasn't, because the next year or so in my life was one of the hardest years in my life, because though I had made a decision I wanted to get my life right with God again, the pull of the world, the habits that I had formed, the addictions that I had invited into my life. Breaking away from the old friends and relationships was incredibly hard. You know, I was in church for two weeks, and then the next week or two, I was back out in, in the world, living in sin again. And that's the way my life was going—back and forth, up and down, like this. It's like God, I want to, but I, I just, I just found myself falling, falling, and falling back into sin over and over. And some of you, maybe that's exactly kind of the the, the, the roller coaster you feel like you've been on in your own life. And suddenly it came to a point in a place where I was just at the point of totally giving up. Friends were going to a rock concert. I went home, I said to my mom, going to a rock concert with friends. And literally what I was saying to her in saying that was, more than going to a rock concert, I was saying, I'm giving up. I can't do this Christian life. I'm walking away from this totally. Now, I'll never forget the words that my mom said. My mom was a, she was a fervent prayer warrior. And she said to me, son, I fear for you if you go. And as I started, I was walking out the garage and she said those words. And I stopped. And she said, why don't you call your pastor? And something remarkable happened. I turned around rather than getting in my car. And I came back in the house and I picked up the phone and I called my pastor and I said, I need to come in and talk. And I want to tell you, the second I set that phone receiver back down, something divine happened. It was as layer after layer after layer of baptisms of the Spirit of God swept over me, one after another i'm talking it was an encounter with the divine something broke it was a grace encounter now god may do it differently in your life but I want to tell you at that moment and at that point in that place where I was so hopeless, I was at the point of despair. I was at a point where I knew I couldn't make any God met me there. Just a simple point of humbling myself, calling a pastor seemed to open up the heavens above. Grace was poured out and I, I, I went on in to talk to my pastor but I want to tell you I was changed. I want to tell you one of the most beautiful things. As we were driving out of Big Spring that day from meeting with my pastor, I met Our cars met like this. My old friends, my old buddies were in a car coming into town. We were in a car going out, but there was a song in my spirit that was rising up, and it was this. I'm saved, and I know that I am. Have you remember that old song? I'm saved, and I know that I am. You see, God did something divine. It was a grace point, and you may need to come to that point in that place in your life. You may be at the end. You're saying, this just isn't working. And I'm here today, all of these years later, three beautiful kids who love the Lord, two wonderful son-in-laws and one son needs to get married, but we're praying. All because of grace. All because of grace. Now stop and think for a moment. You may look at your life and you may think, man, I'm on the wrong path. Things are going the wrong direction. But I want to tell you, you can wake up 10 years later or 20 years later or 5 years later and you can see the beauty of God's grace and what he can do in transforming and changing the whole direction of a life. Well, let me close with this. I want to wrap up. I know we're past that noon hour. A grace point is a point of experiencing God's power. Look at these scripture and then we'll wrap up. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same power, the mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now he is afar above all, any ruler, or authority, or power, leader, or anything else. It is resurrection power. I don't have time to get into this. It's resurrecting power and it's seeding power. Resurrecting power is when God moves into situations that are just dead. And he brings life again. Seeding power is when God establishes divine order again in our, in, in, in our life. But it is his power. You see, it wasn't just love I experienced on that spring day so many years ago when I was 19. It was a baptism of power. It was a power that broke demonic strongholds. It was a power that broke the lies of the devil. I was in a rut. I was stuck in the mud. Time wasn't changing things. I needed a grace point. And what about you today? Are you stuck? You need a grace point. You may say, well, it's too late for me. I've had those opportunities and I've missed them. And let me say this to you. Just because you missed yesterday's grace point doesn't mean you have to miss today's grace point. God is gracious and merciful far more than you'll ever know. And let me say last of all, I want to close this. Because a lot of times we are looking for that dynamic moment like I'm talking about this morning. That was a dynamic moment for me when I was 19 years old. It was a transformative moment. I thank God for it, and he does do those things. But I want to tell you something else. God will sovereignly manifest his grace in your life as he chooses. And there's something we can just call everyday grace. Paul discovered the two graces of God, the grace point that transformed him on the Damascus Road and the other grace of God where he was praying, God, take this thorn in the flesh away. I'm tired of it. God said, nope. I'm not going to do it. My grace is sufficient for you. There are things, listen to me, there are things in your life that may not change, that are unpleasant, that you would like to see changed. Some people live with certain kinds of disabilities or physical limitations. Some people have things in their life, maybe in in their financial situation or employment or whatever, and it does not seem to change. Let me say to you, just because those things don't change doesn't mean God doesn't love you. It may mean he's choosing to manifest his grace to you with just everyday grace. Everyday grace. Everyday grace. And whether it's a grace point that's dynamic and transformative, wow, I love that, or whether it's just everyday grace, His grace is always going to be there and sufficient for you. Would you stand with me this morning? And we want to pray. Father, Lord, in the name of Jesus, as we come to you tonight, today, this morning, Lord, I pray for this body and for this congregation, and I don't know the people who are here, but you know them. And, Lord, I know that every single individual, every person that is here is precious to you. Lord, you know exactly what their battles are. You know their frustrations. You know their up and downs. You know even, Lord, the lies of the devil that they've been battling with even in these recent days as is the, as the, just sowing seeds of hopelessness and despair into their heart. But I pray that right now, that you just begin to lift the fog. I pray that revelation and light would begin to flood their heart and their mind. Truth, I pray to the truth of God, how much they're loved would just begin to, to settle upon them. Now, Father, I pray for that individual or that person today that maybe, maybe, Lord, that they've not accepted Christ as their Lord. Maybe they've come into this building this morning and maybe they've been out of church, been away from you, been running from God. Lord, whatever their situation, but I pray that right now, today, this morning, that they'll make a choice and a decision that they'll say yes to you. Like I did so many years ago, they'd pick up that phone and they'd say, God, I need you. So right now, Lord, I pray for that individual, that person. May they open their heart to you. I like to close every, every service with just a prayer of salvation, just everyone praying it together. I don't know where you're at, I don't know anything about so many of you here. I just know that God loves you. And maybe you're here this morning and, and you've just been feeling something stirring in your heart, a, a realization that you need Christ. I want you to invite you just to pray this prayer with me. And uh, I'll just, I'm not going to try to call you out or have you come to the front or anything like that. I just want you to pray it with everyone that's here. Then afterwards, after we dismiss... I'm going to be up here at the front. If you want to come and just talk with me and and want me to pray with you about something, I'll be glad to. Just share with me. But let's pray. All of us pray this prayer together. Say, Our Father, I believe that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for me so I can have a new life. I ask him to come into my heart, be my Lord, be my Savior. I believe that you are the Son of God, that you have been raised from the dead. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.